You are listening to Keystone Stock Talk Show, episode 219. If this is your first time listening, then thanks for stopping by. This podcast is produced every week for your enjoyment, and show notes are found at www.keystocks.com. Come back often, and feel free to add the podcast to your favorite RSS feed or on iTunes. You can also follow us on Twitter at Keystocks and on Facebook, and keep submitting your stocks via the usual social channels or at our website, keystocks.com, for our Your Stock Artake segment. And we just might review your stock in an upcoming show and let you know if it is a buy, sell, or hold. We have a great show planned for you this week. Aaron will start off with a review of high-growth U.S. small cap Zynex Inc., symbol ZYXI on the NASDAQ, which develops, manufactures, markets, and sells medical devices used in pain management and rehab, as well as non-invasive fluid sepsis and laser-based pulse oximetry monitoring systems for use in hospitals. The company reported strong preliminary preliminary numbers this week, and Aaron takes a look at the impact on valuations. I will answer a listener question on NEO Performance Materials, symbol NEO on the TSX, which manufactures rare earth and rare metal-based functional materials, which are essential inputs into many high-technology applications, including batteries in EVs. The company broke ground on its rare earth magnetic facility in Estonia, and a listener asks us if there is an opportunity to buy the stock today. Brett will answer a viewer question on Snap-on, symbol SNA on the New York Stock Exchange, an innovative manufacturer and marketer of tools, equipment, and diagnostic repair information and system solutions for professionals, users, performing critical tasks in vehicle repair, aerospace, the military, natural resources, and manufacturing. The stock is currently up 51% over the past year with a dividend yield of 2.2%. Brett answers if it still offers value and growth potential. Finally, pro golfer Brennan rounds out the show with our star and dog segment. His dog is Canopy Growth Corporation symbol WEED or W-E-E-D on the TSX. It's down approximately 21% in the last week, 42% in the past month, and 85% year-to-date. Once called the apple of pot stocks, Canopy Growth engages in the production, distribution, and sale of cannabis and hemp-based products for the recreational and medical purposes, primarily in Canada, the U.S., and now in Germany. Brennan lets you know if his company, if this company, it's his company, I'm kidding, if this company could go to zero. Now, his star and favorite producer is Mama Mancini Holdings, MMMB on the NASDAQ. The meatball-producing juggernaut is up 44% in the past month and 118% year-to-date. Brennan looks at the run and the current valuations on the stock. So let's get into the show. My co-host, Aaron, the killer bees, Brett and Brennan, how are you guys doing? Doing well. happy to be here. How are you? Oh, good. You're just happy to be alive, right? Always, always. (laughs) At this point. Now, uh, so pro golfer, let's get to it. Brennan, you were in a tournament over this weekend. I think we got an image of you squatting on the uh, golf course. I don't know what else you're doing there. Were you holding? All right. Let's let's (laughs) reading a putt. I was reading a putt. Reading Um, a putt. You look very, uh... you're in concentration. Yeah, my f- friend Rylan and I, uh, we were in a, a golf tournament. I mean, it was a pretty... It's, it's hobby. 
not Ryan. Well, I Come call on. him. We don't even know who that Hobby, is. But uh, yes, yeah. uh, Hobby and I. <laughs> Hobby, like he's you Hobby. have a like golf is your hobby or well i mean i guess that's yeah that's okay. his name hobby Just making sure we're on um, the same page here um but yeah we actually played pretty good there was about 30 teams um it was a best ball round in the morning and then a scramble in the afternoon the best ball we ended up going three over so not that bad and then for the scramble we ended up uh going uh four deep so minus four uh four under so that was so you uh, pretty placed good. Uh, we ended up placing ninth out of, out of nine tied. teams, right? That's cool. <laughs> no, out of what? Out tied. of how many? We we tied for ninth out of thirty, so not oh, bad. Nice. That's, um, that's not bad. And but, this is uh, the professional kind of... golf tournament. <laughs> no, yeah. no, no. It's, this is amateur. <laughs> this was, uh, you know, it's, this bunch, is, of, it's uh, a bunch of people like Ryan and me. Yeah, he was actually playing in a ten no. and under category, and they placed ninth out of thirty. No. No, it was more, it's more like a beer league almost. So uh, what do you shoot? Like, what was your score? Um, well, we ended up shooting because again, it was best ball. So the first round, Mm -hmm. each hobby and myself play our own rounds and whoever scores the best on that specific hole, we take whoever score. So we were three over, uh, on the best ball round. And then we ended up going, uh, four under on the scramble and the scramble. The difference there is we each hit a drive and then whoever takes the nicest or hits the nicest drive. Um, we'll, we'll sh- both shoot from that specific spot. Mm. So, um, that's kind of how a scramble works. Um, so yeah, it was pretty good. Um, our scramble round out of the 30 teams, we, we played so good for our scramble round. We would have actually been third out of yeah. the 30 teams. So we played really, really well for the scramble round. We ended up starting out double bogey and bogey. You know, you could tell we were a little nervous in the morning. Um, but it was also nice the t- the, the guys that we played with, who we met up with, uh they were they, they came in last though so they came in at 30th so it was yeah. kind of nice having some uh guys they're happy was... you mentioned that today <laughs> well i didn't say their names yeah. uh but uh <laughs> yeah it was kind of nice just took the pressure off especially because you know i i definitely tend to hack it around the golf course myself what percentage of our viewers do you think have switched to another podcast yeah i know <laughs> <laughs> i'm joking well, Brennan, we are really proud of you yeah, for no, being so good at mini like golf good, right mini yeah, golf, mini so, right? So. good job Thank you. Thank if you. If you were playing against right, guys let's... like Ryan and me, you would have got first for sure. So. Yeah. There were a couple things that happened in the financial world other than Brennan's uh, world of golf this past week. Uh, mm-hmm. Bank of Canada raised rates by 25 points to 5%. Uh, do you guys have any comments on that, Aaron? Well, just the, the central banks always have a reputation. This goes back for decades and decades of overshooting, like to the point where it just doesn't make any kind of logical sense. Um, and by overshooting, I mean, by overshooting, I mean, always driving the economy unnecessarily deep into a recession because they do too many increases as opposed to just taking like a moderate pace of increases because increasing the interest rate or tightening monetary policy in order to rein in inflation, it's, it, it takes time, right? Like generally speaking, you know, six to nine month lag period between the time that you increase the rates and when you really actually see that in the data, um, so when I say overshoot, I just mean rather than, you know, taking the time and, and increasing or tightening monetary policy at a measured pace and then taking some time to see what the effect is, is not what the central banks have a reputation of doing. So, I, I mean, it wasn't a surprise to a lot of analysts, apparently, that they did make the increase, but it's a surprise that, yeah, I mean, if you look at the inflation rates, um, if you pull up a, a chart, for anybody watching us on video here, 
um, of the inflation rates in Canada, you can see that they've dropped down substantially over the last year. So um, just taking a look at the Trading Economics website here, the last numbers that were reported were in May, inflation dropping down to 3.4%. So that's that's um, down from 8.1% a year before. So you can see that you know the tightening of the monetary policy or something has already had a drastic impact on on um, inflation rates already, which really begs the question of whether or not it was necessary to do this this recent increase in rates, and as opposed to since the trend of inflation um, is that it, the trend is that inflation showing is is showing that inflation is coming down quite substantially. Why not wait to see if that continues, as opposed to continuing to increase until you drive the economy well into recession. Um, but you know, I'm not the, uh, I'm not the central bank. So we'll, uh, we'll yeah. And so like you said, just, uh, going too hard each way, probably going down to zero may have been too aggressive and holding them there for so long, likely too aggressive, slow on the uptake to start increasing. And now, and then too potentially going too far on this side. Yeah. Right. I mean, time will tell the June numbers, I believe they should come out over the next week here, um, I would yes. think. And uh, some are, are saying, thinking that, you know, the June numbers might actually be within that 2% range, which is the long-term target. So we'll, we'll see. Yeah, so happens. they're literally waiting until they see a lagging indicator um, and, then, and then halting potentially, which mm-hmm. is, you know, not a ton of foresight, but. But then, yeah, I mean, the, the other criticism of the central bank is that their mandate is purely focused on inflation and not at all focused on recession. So you could take the perspective that, well, you know, um, they just really don't care. And when your only tool is a hammer, you just want to hit everything with a hammer, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And uh, yeah. just last thing on this, just reading right from their the Bank of Canada's press release. So they do say global inflation is easing with lower energy prices and a decline in goods price inflation. However, robust demand and tight labor markets are causing persistent inflationary pressures in services. You know, they go on to say economic growth has been stronger than expected, especially in the United States. Um, But they're starting to see, you know, China's economic growth uh, softening a bit as well. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. 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 I I would say that part, part of the issue about overspending is education. People just don't seem to have fear of debt and that would take decades. I mean, those policies should be in place rather than, you know, I'm not sure a going from 4.75 to five is really going to curb much at this point. I think the curbing has been done, but yeah. And anyways, that that's a, that's a topic for another show on terms of education. Sorry, what were you going to say, Aaron? Oh, I was just going to say another frustrating thing that a lot of people have is that you have the federal government engaging in more inflationary practices, like always running deficits. Um, well, the central bank is tightening, right? So you have two forces that are really pulling on opposite directions. And then, you know, you, you, you have situations as well, like, um, we covered in the past, how the banks are extending the amortizations of loans, um, well past. I mean, this is a question of leadership, somebody stepping in and and, this is why we haven't seen more of an impact in the, in the housing market in the near term. I mean, these are temporary, it's, it's a temporary extension of amortizations, but, um, there just seems to be a lot of focus on, well, you know, we have to give people relief in this situation as opposed to like maybe the reason why they need relief is because interest rates have been yanked up so quickly. 
Well, and nobody ever feels any pain. I mean, we went, we've went over this many times. But the whole like, point of you, tightening you monetary policy is yeah. that you induce pain. But you got two right? Nobody wants happen. that. Nobody wants that to happen. But like, that's how, I mean, back in the 80s when, you know, they increased interest rates to deal with inflation, they weren't focused on then trying to no. like soften the blow to people. The point was, you know, people were losing their houses. People were losing their businesses. And that's what caused the economic contraction. But yeah. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Well, and I'm not uh, saying we that, want... that I'm not saying that that's exactly what they should be doing right now. I'm just saying that you know you can't, on one hand, say well we're going to tighten in order to contract the economy, but then do a lot of things that have the impact of also inflating the economy at the same time. Yeah. Yeah. And we're looking just to switch gears a bit. We're looking at a we're doing an electrification report right now. Uh, news from that sector, you know. Generally speaking, uh, Tesla produced their first Cybertruck truck from their Gigafactory uh, over the past week. Uh, hideous as it looks, it did get produced over the past week. Uh, uh, Aaron, are you buying one? No, I'm not buying one. No, <laughs> I'm definitely not. I thought that thing was about the ugliest truck I've ever seen the moment it was yeah. introduced. Um, I may be in the market for an electric vehicle sometime over the next couple of years, but I'd, I'd really like to, I mean, I know that a lot of other companies are coming out with their own electric vehicles. I just Mm -hmm. want to see how the competition looks over the next couple of years. I'm not in a big hurry, so I probably have two to three years. Yeah, I've been, I've been looking as well, but trying to marry something that I want with something, you know, that, that I think is, you know, effectively priced and then. And also, it's, do you go for a hybrid over like a full EV? You know, and, and mm-hmm. just there, there hasn't been anything that really stuck out to me. But, you know, the interesting thing is that I, I do have a so couple of friends that I recently on. went on a trip with. We went okay. with a couple other families out to the Okanagan and two of those families both own Teslas. So they mm-hmm. were just talking to me about their experience, about finding charging stations, about what it costs and I think that they said overall, that, you know, how was it uh, positive? Yeah. Generally yeah. positive. Um, you know, no issues finding charging stations. You can find like some super charging stations that'll basically, you know, fill up the battery in about 20 minutes. So it's, it's not difficult. And then, um, you know, the one person I was talking to, he figured it probably cost him about like a 15, $20 charge the whole trip. Whereas, you know, for me, uh, let's mm-hmm. just say in my MDX, it costs a lot more than that in fuel. Yeah, mm-hmm. for sure. All yeah. right. Well, let's get to our show. Or did you have something, Brennan? I was just going to say, I don't know if I'd be buying a, a Tesla in Saskatchewan. I mean, just where it's uh, so much colder. Like even I was talking mm-hmm. to my real estate agent and uh, she she has a Tesla and she was saying in the wintertime, you know, you can't really go off of what it's telling you in your garage for range because you drive into the minus 30 and that's going to, it completely changes basically the mm-hmm. chain or the range uh, drops dramatically. So, I mean, that's of course in Saskatchewan where I am, but, uh, as well, I would like to say, um, it's, it's also like not about 90% of Canada, but only about I 1% guess, yeah. of Canada's population. So this where, is where it gets um, that cold. And as well, um, just on the, the Tesla, uh, cyber truck, um, so I was reading in their conference call in the last quarter, they are anticipating having like an, a, del- a delivery event, uh, and this delivery event probably will be in Q3, they're saying. Um, but as with all new products, it takes time to get the manufacturing line going. And this is really a very radical product. So we are seeing, you know, some come off of the, uh, uh, the production line, but you know, it's going to be a slow process still here. Yeah. It was 2024. 
uh, Musk said in the in the conference call that he expected the Cybertruck to contribute to the bottom line. So mm-hmm. we can see how many people want to buy that spaceship then. I mean, some people will love it, right? So I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm some sure, people will right? love it because it'll make you stand out because it looks oh, yeah. so, yeah. you know, futuristic. Um, but, you know, I think that once a few people have it, that that attraction will wear off a little bit. It really will see come Ryan down driving to the performance of it. Yeah, yeah, it's it's like I said, it's beautiful. So I'm getting <laughs> one right away. Absolutely. Yeah, I'm yeah. I'm sure there's back ordering. And anyways, yes. let, let's get let's to go. Aaron. Aaron pulled out a uh, a small cap high growth that we're familiar with that had some uh, good numbers over the past uh, week. Preliminary numbers: Zynex Inc. Z Y X I on the Nasdaq. You gonna take that one? Yes, I will take that. Um, so this is a company that we have some experience with at Keystone under coverage. Um, why don't we just give the basics on it first? So it's Zynex, ZYXI. This is a US company trading on the NASDAQ, about $9.30 right now. So a small cap, really almost in the US, almost a micro cap still at $340 million total value. And what they do is they're, they're a medical devices company. So they develop, manufacture, and sell uh, medical devices, primarily used in pain management and also patient monitoring. But we came across this company before it was NASDAQ listed. Uh, We put out a recommendation on the stock in December of 2017. This is when it was still on the OTC. Um, And that recommendation was done at $3 per share. Um, So the thing that we liked about the company is that at the time was very underfollowed business. Nobody knew about it. Um, Here you had this this highly profitable micro cap company, very good growth in earnings. they were trading an attractive valuation. They had a net cash balance sheet as well. Um, and they also were looking to get on the NASDAQ. So that's one of the things that we do like to do with our with our small cap research and our um, discovery US research is find companies um, that are too small for a lot of institutions to look at, really unknown, but where there's a possibility or a good solid potential of a graduation to a senior exchange, um, as well as, as improving fundamentals and profitability. Uh, and cash flow and revenue as well. But uh, we, um, so we held this company for, you know, a couple of years. Um, It did well. We ended up selling it, uh, putting out a sell report in June of 2019 at $9 per share. So more than about a 200% increase in our, in our initial, from our initial recommendation. So that was a big win for us. We'd like that. One of the things that drove that price appreciation was that they did graduate to the NASDAQ exchange from the OTC. That, of course, really opens the company up to a far wider range of investors that would not look at over-the-counter OTC stocks. Um, and it just gives a lot more credibility to the company, the the financial disclosures and whatnot. Um, but it did actually continue to go on a pretty solid run after that, reaching a price of about $22 per share um, before the share price really kind of collapsed over over the year uh, over the year after that. Um, so one of the reasons why we decided to put out the sell recommendation is that if you look at the reason why we bought the company, which was really those strong fundamentals, that earnings growth, um, the the solid valuation, attractive valuation, those things really kind of went away for the most part. Um, the profitability was a little more volatile. Um, we weren't seeing the earnings growth tracking the revenue growth as well. 
uh, the valuation as well expanded. So it started to become expensive. And we saw it really being driven by, I mean, that last run up in the price, we saw that really being driven by speculation as opposed to good solid fundamentals. Um, but anyways, the stock has come down quite a bit from its peak of over $20. Uh, and it recently put out Q2 preliminary results. So we're going to take a look at those um, just to take a quick look at the company's business. So there's two areas that they really focus on. There's pain rehabilitation and patient monitoring. So the, the company has, uh, looks like to me, over a dozen different products, but there are a few products that really produce most of the revenue. In the electrotherapy or pain management segment, um, it's their next wave product that um, they really focus on in the presentation. So they're looking in this segment at a total addressable market of about 900 million. Um, so what their next wave product does is it relieves pain, augments healing um, through electrotherapy. Uh, this is a prescription product, so it does require a prescription. Now, one of the things that um, that is interesting with this product is about 72% of the revenue that they get from their next wave comes from supply. So this is what they re would refer to as recurring revenue. They sell the product, but then they also provide um, supplies for that product and generate recurring revenue from that. Uh, and then the other side of the business is patient monitoring. They're identifying this as a $3.7 billion business, and they also have a number of products in this space as well. Uh, company also boasts a very solid pipeline. In addition to having over a dozen or so products right now, they also have a pipeline of products coming out to the market. But they put out their preliminary Q2 results. Uh, on the revenue side, looks quite good. They're they're expecting 43.5 to 45.5 million for the second quarter, which should be out soon. So that would be about 21% year-over-year growth. Um, on the EPS line, much less much less attractive. They they have a range of three cents to seven cents in earnings per share, pretty wide range, and that compares to eight cents in earnings per share in the same quarter last year. So at the midpoint, you'd be looking about almost a forty percent drop in earnings per share. Um, but they have also reiterated their guidance for the full year, expecting one hundred eighty to two hundred million in revenue and 40 to 50 cents in earnings per share. So on the revenue line, again, about 20% growth over full year 2022 results. Um, on the earnings per share line, you'd be looking at about flat earnings per share on the on the, on the the mid-range of their, of their guidance. So they did 44 cents last year and the guidance suggesting 40 to 50 cents. So really about flat year over year. Um, but... Outlook for the company uh, from management is strong. Q2 orders increased 51% over the same period last year. Very good sign. They recently received FDA clearance on their CM1600 fluid monitoring system, um, which provides more comfortable and accurate monitoring to patients in hospitals. So looking to expand that side of the business. Um, wanted to take a look at just the historic financial performance of Zynex for a moment. So if we look at the, the revenue performance going back to 2018 to present, we see a pretty consistent uh, increase year over year in the revenues um, on a quarterly basis and on the full year. So great consistency in the revenue growth. When we look at the earnings per share, uh, certainly we see a lot more volatility. So um, particularly in the years 2019, 2020, and then at the start of 2021, where they actually in Q1 had a net loss, you can see there's not really a consistent um, 
increase in their uh, in their earnings per share. And it was around again tw- Q3 of 2019 that we put out our sell recommendation when earnings per share were actually going down year over year and the share price was going up. Again, we we thought that that share price appreciation up to the twenty dollars was completely overheated. Uh, we had made a lot of money on the on the on the stock for our investors, so we thought, you know, fundamentally, it's not a company we would buy right now. There's a lot of risk in holding it, so we're just going to get out of it. Um, a lot of that coming down to just the financial performance, and then in 2020, we saw a drop as well. Um, but you know, you, you started to see momentum pick up again on the earnings line in 2021, 2022, Um, towards the latter half of 2022, there's there's more volatility year over year. And then looking at 2023 again, suggesting flat. So looking at about flat earnings per share. So although we've seen a lot of growth in revenue and that has been consistent, there's been a lot less consistency in the earnings. And that's really the most important metric that we look at. We wanna see the revenue growth because that's, Without consistent revenue growth, you're not going to get consistent earnings per share growth. But ultimately, as a common stock investor, it's those earnings per share that to us are going to drive the sustainable growth in the share price long term. Um, that's how the company is going to uh, potentially pay dividends or make acquisitions or um, buy back shares or invest back in the company in a way that doesn't leverage the balance sheet. So from a metric perspective, yeah, we're impressed by the revenue growth, but we we're a little less impressed by the earnings per share consistency. Uh, looking at the valuation at a, at the current share price, midpoint of guidance at forty five cents. Company's trading about twenty one times earning twenty one times expected earnings right now. So just to kind of sum things up, our take we it's a very interesting business, a small cap medical devices company. It's growing its revenue. Uh, earnings are growing over time. They're targeting two attractive markets. They have high margins, high recurring revenue. They do have a history of profitability. Um, but where we're a little less impressed here is just there are periods of that lackluster earnings performance, flat earnings for 2023, and then that valuation of 2021 times. It's, I would say, probably within the fair value range. I mean, if you look at profitable medical device companies listed on the NASDAQ exchange, you're generally not getting those companies at a very cheap valuation. Um, so relative to other companies in that space, 20 times does not look very expensive. But we would say, you know, it doesn't look particularly undervalued. It doesn't look particularly overvalued. It's really in that fair value range. Um, but what we really want to see is signals that the earnings per share growth is going to track the revenue growth better. If we saw that all of a sudden a 20 times multiple starts to look good, but we, we do see risk in that inconsistency of earnings growth. So we're going to continue to monitor the stock for a while. Uh, we'll look at the, the full quarterly report when it comes out and then potentially have another conversation with management and just see what, uh, what the outlook on the company is going forward. Yeah, Zynek is, it's interesting. I remember when we, we were down at a conference in the US and um, I, I saw the CEO present, stock was trading around like 275 to $3 and uh, it had net cash position. It did have earnings uh, on a per share basis and it was growing. And with their forecast going forward, it was trading around 10 times uh, when, when you took some of the took the cash out of the equation and the growth was significant. So at that point, smaller business, but and it was also like it's the net income margins were better. If you look at 
like even a Q1 2019 uh, did about 9.1 million in revenues and did net income of like 2.3 million, seven cents per share. Well, if you look at the last quarter of this company, they had 42 million and uh, made net income of 1.6 million or four cents per share. So far more profitable on a net income basis back then. Um, it, it, it is, you know, if they can deliver on the uh, guidance they had for this year and start to uptick uh, cash flow and net income margins, you know, it, it could be a company they revisit, particularly if they can bring online that blood monitoring product and get some diversification because there have also like at times you're willing to take a speculation on a company. If you're paying such a low multiple, good, uh, good cash balance sheet uh, and good, you know, net income margins at that time. Uh, But because there were some questions about the efficacy of the products and risk to with some end payers. Um, But, you know, if, if you're paying a very low multiple uh, you can kind of take that risk I mean, 20 times is not crazy if they hit their multiples and that consistent track record of revenues, but you're paying, you know, double what we paid back then. And, uh, you know, it was a good situation. It went from $3 and sold at nine, like over a two, two and a half year period or in, in that range. So that's great. And it was driven by earnings primarily going higher. And then they starting to flatten off to, to go slightly lower. And that's when we take profits out. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's an interesting company for sure. Definitely. All right. Well, let's move to Neo Performance Materials. Uh, now, symbol NEO on the TSX. Because rare earths and EV related stocks, all of this remains topical. We continue to get questions on Neo. I got a question from a listener. He asked if, if we are more positive on Neo Performance after it announced it had started construction of its rare earth magnetic plant in Estonia. Neo Performance, NEO on the TSX, $8.78, about a $400 million market cap. The uh, company manufactures rare earth and rare metal-based functional materials, which are essential inputs to uh, many high-technology applications, including batteries and EVs. Uh, Business is organized around three segments. It's MagnaQuench, chemicals and oxides, and rare earth segments. Historically, it has manufactured industrial materials, magnetic powers, uh, magnetic powders and magnets, specialty chemicals, metals, and alloys. It's in the process of vertically engi- or engineering, vertically moving, uh, it's sorry, vertically integrating, moving to become a potential producer to a uh, builder of permanent magnets. Now, the event this past week, Neo held a groundbreaking summit or summit. <laughs> I can't speak a groundbreaking ceremony for its rare earth magnet facility in Estonia. The details here, 24,000 square foot uh, or meter, square meter rare earth magnet facility is scheduled to commence production in early 2025. It has a target of achieving full phase one output by 2027. This output is estimated to be about 1,500 tons of magnets equivalent to supplying materials for approximately 1 to 1.5 million electric vehicles. Our take, while the start of construction is a positive in terms of the company's goal of vertically integrating operations, it is just putting a shovel in the ground, so to speak, or really actually actually what is happening. Phase one production is scheduled to commence, like I said, in 2025. The target just for phase one Output is 2027. That's to get to full output. 
this remains three and a half to four years off. Uh, a lot can change over that time. So again, while it's a positive, the success of this project ultimately remains speculative at this stage. The goal of full vertical integration also includes um, the company announcing that it is uh, putting forward a project in Greenland. So that will be additional cost. In June, NEO did announce that a third party would invest in this project in Estonia uh, and hold a 30% interest in phase one. While diluting its interest, this is likely positive as NEO has historically operated as a net cash business holding more cash than debt. With its vertical integration plans, it could quickly move to net debt. Phase one in Estonia for this project is expected to cost 25 to 30 million. Phase two would be around 40 million. They also are going to need significant working capital to move this project forward. The plant will likely be cash flow negative for at least the initial year. Uh, net cash right now is estimated to be in the range of 80 million, uh, which provides decent liquidity. But again, with this full vertical integration comes with plans of being a producer in Greenland, and that would likely include the, uh, the company having to raise significant capital over the next two to five plus years to execute on its plan. Um, Neil Performance is a cyclical business. It's faced significant headwinds near term as rare earth prices have declined, and the company faced a negative lead lag of three months, three to five months historically. So it's currently been selling from higher priced inventory. What this has done to financials, well, revenues were down in the first quarter of this year uh, from 166 million to 135 and a half million. Operating loss was four million for the quarter. Adjusted net loss was nine million, or negative nineteen cents per share. Again, the groundbreaking breaking ceremony—it's a positive. It's just the start of a long, uncertain journey for the company, and it does not change our stance from just monitoring the business to buying it at present. So we just monitor this along their journey. There's a lot of uncertainty to go from. Uh, where they are now as a manufacturer of rare earths to ultimately a producer and then producing uh, end products. Awesome. That does it. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's, it's interesting because the rare earth space is so topical. For I mean, sure. It, 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 you know, especially when we're looking at the electric. That's why we keep getting questions. Right? Yeah, yeah. Trends in the world. Um, you know, rare earths are a big part of that, but then there's such a, there's, there's such a need for investment in, into that space, but what we can't lose sight of is that, you know, ultimately these are companies and although they might be part of a, an attractive theme, that doesn't mean that they can't lose a lot of money. That doesn't mean that they can't go out of favor. And just as uh -huh. you said, I just think that it's, it's very, I mean, Neo is something that we're looking at extremely closely. We would like to invest in something like that. Um, but right now the risk of their expansion is still very high. I mean, we want to, we want to get further along and even, you know, potentially see what the financial result of it looks like before we would actually uh, consider it as an investment. But there yeah, are yeah, other, other already... companies similar in the space that we're looking at as well um, that will be part yeah. of the electrification report. Yeah, there's another company where the, that's a producer that's going the other way. Like, mm -hmm. you know, going, you know, they're all trying, it seems like many of them are trying to completely vertically integrate. Well, it is a very, I mean, when you're dealing with a volatile end commodity, or any commodity is really actually quite volatile, um, you know, you try to smooth out uh, if you can go through the full channel, right, from uh, production right down to selling an end product. 
the hope is there to be able to smooth out results over time because these companies, whether they're a producer or a manufacturer, um, they're very volatile in terms of their profitability. Hopefully, the hope is to vertically integrate and smooth that out over time. Um, whether they can ultimately do it, uh, specialization has been a thing. If you're a great producer, you know it's probably you know a low cost producer. It's a good thing if you can do it all. You know the question is, can they do it all? In this case, uh, bringing you know producing magnetic powders is far different from mining in Greenland. So we'll see if they can you know bridge the gap between the two, bring it all together, and become a fully integrated company within this space. And if they can do it successfully, you know, it might be a significant investment opportunity. They're at the early stages of that breaking ground in one project and then really just getting permitting for the um, for the uh, project in Greenland. You know, and I would All like right. to yep. uh, just relate it to another company that we had under coverage, which we ended up getting clients to take profit on. It was a gold miner. So, you know, a gold producer. But either way, you know, it was kind of the same thing where they were expanding with a new project. Um, and the reason we got clients to, you know, take profit is just because of that operational risk with this new project going forward is, you know, there, that's it brings uncertainty. Um, so, you know, we wanted clients to, you know, lock in. I know it's not apples to apples. This is, uh, you know, a, a gold miner, of course. But, uh, yeah. you know, again, just making sure that you understand that this it's not just going to be a gravy train as they expand. There is additional operational risk that comes into play there. Yeah, and investment theory behind, like, investing in a commodities company or something that's based off of a commodity-based business is very difficult to have a long-term buy and hold strategy off it. it. You know, it'd be more of a trade, even though when we say trade, this is not a daily basis. We might be looking over two, three years, a positive uptick in that particular commodity or segment. Um, that would be a way to play that, but it's different from looking at buying this company and holding for five, 10 years. It's difficult in those because like, you know, management can do everything right. The commodity moves against you. You know, the sentiment moves against you. The stock likely does poorly. So those are typically trades versus looking at a good long-term three, five, 10 year investment that you can make in a company. Precisely. All right. Let's move to, uh, Brett. I think you're going to do snap on, right? Is it snap on? Snap on. Yeah. Not, not, not Snapchat. Not Snapchat. No, no, Not no. Brandon's disappointed now. Yeah. I know. It's true. We, we broke his heart with that one. Almost. All right. Talking though. about That's my primary yeah. form of snap. communication. Just there we snap. go. Yeah. But uh, snap oh, on. Symbol SNA. Not snap. SNA. Yeah. On the New York Stock Exchange, it's a leading innovator, manufacturer of marketer and marketer of tools, equipment, diagnostics, repair information, and system solutions for fit. For professional users performing critical tasks in vehicle repair, aerospace, the military, natural resources, and manufacturing. The stock is currently trading at about $296, up about 51% over the past year with a dividend yield of 2.2%. So let's go through a quick rundown of their last quarter. Q1 2023, net sales increased about 7.8% to $1.2 billion, which was an organic growth rate of 10.2%. That was had offset by foreign exchange translation. You saw effectively every U.S. company have that same issue over the past year as the U.S. dollar has been remained strong. So you've been seeing that across the board if they have international operations. Gross profit increased to $509 million with a gross margin improvement of 110 basis points 
to 49.8%. Operating margin before the financial services segment was up 170 basis points to 22%. And including the financial services, it was up 80% or 80 basis points, I should say, to 25.6%, resulting in operating earnings growth of 11.1%, $326 million. Diluted EPS was up 15% to 460 a share. Overall, strong quarter of earnings. And as CEO Nick Pinchuk said, the conference call snap-ons, momentum has really been unbroken and vibrant, highlighting really that the concerns which many people are having, including myself, about recession really impacting this company has been not realized in the last quarter. Now, shifting to the balance sheet quickly, the company has net debt of $413 million, resulting in a net debt EBITDA of about 0.3 times, meaning leverage is just generally not a concern at this time, especially given the strong cash flows that the company has. And its long-term debt is fixed at relatively low rates with the next refinancing. If they needed to, they could just pay it off cash at this point if they wanted to, not being until 2027 with the other two notes being 2048 and 2050. So generally speaking, really strong balance sheet, no concerns there. But as the company does operating in consumer finances as well as contract financing, it's always really good to check in on the strength of receivables as they can just suddenly tank and that really hits the company hard. Snap-on does have... $2.3 $2.3 billion in gross financial receivables outstanding and delinquency rates across the board have been generally steady with minor fluctuations, which are expected quarter to quarter. But the net loss in relation to delinquency for extended credit was 2.46% for the portfolio, up 12 basis points compared to the same quarter last year, but that's still 45 basis points lower than the year end for 2019, so pre-pandemic levels. So if we really see credit conditions tighten, which many people are expecting, we could see that metric and delinquency rates rise quite a bit, but we haven't seen that this time, but that is something you really constantly want to watch with a company like this. Now, moving to valuations, the price to earnings is about 17 times, and price to cash flow is 15 times. not particularly cheap, given its historic growth and prospective future growth, but it's not awful either. So our take, the company is really resilient and it's in an in-demand market at this time, but there will likely be head went in a recessionary scenario. It has a great balance sheet and consistent cash flow supporting dividend growth and has been doing share back buybacks as well. But given the recent run-up in price over the past year, the stock the room for stock price appreciation is a bit questionable. So I would say uh, it's a more of a hold at this time. You would really want to wait for a bit better valuations. It's not the worst time to buy if you're looking at a three to five year. But since there are potential headwinds in the near term with the credit tightening and as well it is as of course uh bit of a cyclical end market with autos, but it's not as cyclical as just straight uh, auto manufacturers. There can be a bit of uh, cyclicality in its earnings, but it's we aren't seeing that quite yet. So assuming really no deterioration in fundamentals, a bit cheaper evaluation would be a nice entry point. And I'll open up to you guys. Awesome. Uh, one thing I thought I did notice there is that the price to cash flow is more expensive than the price to earnings. Uh, no, uh, oh, sorry. Yes, you are correct. Yeah. 17 then 20. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, that could be an issue, Mm -hmm. not necessarily, but an issue with earnings quality as well. Um, you know, typically you would want to see the cash flow higher, not the cash flow valuation, but the cash flow higher than the earnings, um, which would result in the valuation to cash flow being lower. Um, but that would be something that we would look into if we were interested enough in going to the next phase. (laughs) You know, one thing that I'd like to say about Snap-on too is they kind of have an interesting business model from my understanding where um, a couple of my friends are uh, mechanics and essentially there will be a Snap-on truck that 
you know, drives to the Toyota dealership and, you know, knocks on the mechanics doors and tries to essentially, you know, sell uh, the mechanics in the shop uh, some tools. So it is kind of an interesting rather than just placing, you know, their their tools in a Canadian tire or, you know, a PV Mart or whatever. Uh, the vendors will actually drive specifically to the mechanics or wherever, you know, the industrial uh, workers are working and try to sell the, to them directly. Um, but again, from my understanding, Snap-on tools generally are a little bit pricier. Um, now, I mean, you might get what you pay for. The quality might be better as well. Um, but that's at least what I've heard from my my mechanic friends is that, you know, they are generally pricier. Uh, a lot of the times when the vendors are coming to sell, they will, you know, hit you with these installment payments for these tools that you can make. Um, but it is kind of an interesting model where, again, it's not just, you know, in the big box retailers, they're coming directly to you and a salesman is trying to sell them to you. Yeah, when I was uh, looking at the company, I was surprised their gross margin is just under 50%, which is quite high for mm-hmm. uh, this sort of company. So, yeah. yeah, no, I would not be surprised if you're seeing a premium compared to competitors there. For sure. An interesting business. Two more uh, interesting businesses coming up to close out the show. We got our star and dog of the week. Brennan's going to go with the dog first in a company that he's not invested in, but let's be honest, he's a customer of. So um, let's Lies. let's look at Canopy Growth, right? Yeah. Well, you're a customer of both. If you could get more meatballs, you'd do it, right? So we'll go to Mama Mancini's as a star after you go to your favorite company and the apple of pot stocks. Yes, the apple of pot stocks. So the dog <laughs> of the week is Canopy Growth Corp. Uh, weed or W-E-E-D on the TSX. Uh, so the stock is down approximately 21% in the last week, 42% in the past month, and about 85% year to date, where it now trades at about 49 cents per share and has a market cap of about $268 million. So as Ryan said, uh, they were once known as the Apple of cannabis stocks. Uh, Canopy Growth was a front runner in the Canadian cannabis industry and engages in the production, distribution and sale of cannabis and hemp based products for recreational and medical purposes, primarily in Canada, the United States and Germany. So driving the losses, the company announced on July 14th that it plans to enhance its financial flexibility and delever the balance sheet by $437 million over the next six months and lower annual interest costs by approximately $20 to $30 million. And the company plans to achieve this by settling approximately $193 million aggregate principal amount of its existing notes with a mix of consideration that includes common shares, which is about 90 million shares, and newly issued unsecured non-interest bearing convertible debentures with a conversion price equal to about 55 cents. Now, additionally, the company will reduce about 100 million of principal indebtedness under the credit facility provided under the credit agreement for a cash payment of 93 million with the expectation of further principal reductions at 95 cents on the dollar upon completion of certain asset sales. Plus, it plans to convert about 41% of its existing convertible debt into common shares. And on this news, the stock was down 41% as the company will be getting rid of debt, but it will be using both cash and using its shares as currency. So dilution is coming. Shareholders don't love that. Now, Let's just quickly look at the company's last financial statements here. First, on the balance sheet, the company has cash and short-term investments of about $782.6 million. I'm not including restricted short-term investments here. 
uh, as well. Debt and leases uh, were about $1.445 billion, providing a net debt position of about $663 million. And because the company posted negative EBITDA of about uh, $350 million for fiscal year 2023, we can't even calculate the company's net debt to EBITDA multiple. Uh, so that is a little scary here. Um, so moving on, uh, as you can see, like looking at the income statement here, uh, as you can see, the company's revenue has been declining over the past three years. It has absolutely uh, been burning cash uncontrollably while also diluting shareholders quite significantly. And I'll show you here on the next screen, um, we went from you know just under 200 million shares in the first quarter of 2018 to now, uh, and this is before you know the recent announcement where they're going to be converting their debt and issuing more shares uh, to where they're now just under 600 million shares as at Q4 of 2023. So you know they've been not profitable. They've been needing to get the cash somewhere. They've been levering the balance sheet, and of course, uh, issuing shares, um, which makes the star or makes the the company our dog of the week. Any comments, gentlemen? Yeah, I mean, I think Canopy is the result of a company that run uh, had run as a business that never contemplated being profitable. I mean, yep. this is what can happen, you know, worst case scenario. Like I said at the start, um, Brennan's going to answer whether this stock or the equity can go to zero. I mean, it had a $25 billion market cap basically at its peak, and it's what, $300 million now? I mean, it's basically from its peaks, it's gone to zero yep. already. Uh, you know, and, and equity holders may, I mean, have just lost so much. It may go to actual zero at some point as well. But again, you run a business that, you know, you look at, there was tremendous growth in revenues, uh, never even close to operational profitability. And, no. you know, anytime we'd even look at it, we did a cannabis sector report uh, back in what, 20, right before legalization and right at legalization, we couldn't find a company it was profitable to meet our criteria at that point. Um, this company would always be two, three years into the future when they would be on an adjusted EBITDA basis, you know, forecasting to potentially break even. Well, you know, it just, it would never meet our criteria. And, and this is what can happen when you have a business. And I would say from day one, it was never, it was just land and expand and, and grow yeah. and never contemplate doing that in a profitable manner, uh, not the type of business that we would look at or, yeah. or ever want to invest in. I would like to point out here, they don't even have a gross profit at this point there. So yep. they're losing on their sales. It's, like that's, yeah, that's really the death spiral at that point. Pretty, yeah. pretty much one of the worst financial statements I've seen in a long time. <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah. It, it's not even... Yeah, and, and to be honest... How many comments not, though about how we just don't understand the, the <laughs> technology? are going to be on our YouTube channel. <laughs> this, I, <laughs> I remember doing a, a speech at an event um, uh, back at the Money Show in Toronto. It was probably 2018, 2019, and, and saying uh, that we couldn't find a company in there. And at the, we did a Q&A at the end, and uh, a louder gentleman stood up and said, how can you not want to invest in? And it was Canopy Growth. How can you not want to invest in that company? I said, well, it's not profitable, and they don't even forecast profitability to three to five years out there's a long journey to go from that where they were then to actual profitability to even start to 
justify their valuations. And he said, well, the demand is there. You're a fool to think the demand isn't there. And I said, well, if, if there's an oversupply, <laughs> it doesn't really matter, right? Yeah. How yeah, there were there the are 200 is. cannabis companies yeah. publicly traded at the time. Yeah. That was just public too. Plans and, yeah. to expand production to you know yeah. four times what the consumption was in Canada, so the numbers didn't. No, they, they didn't. They didn't hold water, and and you know into the U.S. it hasn't held water either. But yeah. you know somebody will be a winner in this space over the long term. Somebody will be. Uh, at this case, the equity holders in Canopy will not be the winners. No. I would. Uh, I don't think that's a bold prediction at this point. Even when I was like looking and I saw that the company lost in 2023, you know, adjusted EBITDA of 350 million. I'm just like, how, you know, like when you're so levered, yeah. I just, but again, it's just that trying to get land. When you first looked at expand. it, did you think you were high when you looked at those? <laughs> I'm running to using the no, product no. right now. No, <laughs> no, definitely not. Oh, that's Okay. Horrible. So shall we move on to my favorite meatball company? Yeah, yes. please. When you combine the two, you could eat a lot of meatballs. This is true. When you get the munchies. Yeah. Okay. So the star of the week is Mama Mancini's holding or MMMB on the NASDAQ. Uh, The stock is up about 44% in the past month and 118% year to date, uh, where it's now trading at about $3.88 with about $142 million market cap. So Mama Mancini's manufactures and markets prepared refrigerated foods, primarily in the United States. Uh, The company offers beef and turkey meatballs, meatloaf, chicken, sausage-related products, and pasta entrees, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And it sells directly to supermarkets, club uh, chains, and mass market retailers, as well as food retailers and distributors uh, through their website. And, uh, you know, listeners have probably heard us talk about the the company before. Clients have definitely seen uh, monitor reports. Um, as we did highlight Mama Mancini's as a monitor in our uh, US under 2 billion market cap profitable small cap special report, uh, which came out in June. Now, driving the increase here has been number one, the company's strong financial results. So for the most recent quarter here, Q1 of 2024, uh, they posted a revenue growth of about 6%. Gross profit was up uh, 65%, primarily due to an increase in prices as well as easing of commodity prices such as chicken and ground ground beef. And earnings per share was about four cents per share uh, compared to about break even for Q1 of 2023. And I've included here for viewers that are looking on YouTube, uh, just a graph to show where we had seen margins come down quite significantly uh, due to elevated uh, you know, chicken prices and ground beef prices. Um, but we have been seeing margins recover here. Now, the company also has a new CEO, Adam Michaels, uh, who we recently spoke with uh, on the phone um, and you know just got to kind of get his vision going forward. And um, essentially, we can see here that it, it looks to be that the company is entering uh, into a new growth phase uh, led by Adam, uh, where the company is targeting to become an all-in-one deli provider. Uh, and he's also provided some gross margin targets uh, including greater than 30% uh, gross margin and mid single digit net income margins. Uh, and over the longer term net income margins of about 10%. And also what's been driving the stock is the recent acquisition of chef inspirational goods, 
or CIF, which is a Delhi prepared food sales agent, which is expected to be accretive and drive immediate gross margin and operating expense synergies. So overall, uh, and this is essentially what we wrote in our report and why we thought that it traded near fair value. If we, hypoth- if we hypothesize that the business can generate over $100 million in fiscal year 2024, all while generating 5% net profit margins, on a forward basis, the stock was trading then at about 18 times forward earnings. Now it's trading at over 25 times earnings. Now, There certainly is a case to be made that the business could continue to offer value if management can continue to execute and actually get those net income margins up to 10%. But at this point, you know, an investment all comes down to management's execution over the next three to five years. And that valuation with the growth uh, just makes uh, the stock look like it trades near uh, fair value. Um, But it's a good business, you know, very interesting. Um, I haven't tried their products, even though I know that the guys, uh, I'm sure I'm going to tell you that I, I have and that they're my favorite, um, but I will open open it up to the uh, the gentleman here. I'm Anybody just waiting for them right now. <laughs> yeah, a little bit. Whenever Ma, we talk get me about some Mama Cheney, I just you know want to eat some pasta. <laughs> yeah. No, yeah. um, we we're really waiting for the meatballs in a cup. That's what we're waiting for, yeah. aren't we? Hey, uh, we did we ask before? Is it available it. in Canada? It is not. Yeah, we have yeah. asked. Yeah. <laughs> We're we're waiting for them to, to be delivered. They are now, in Costco's, um, but uh, just U.S. Just U.S. Yeah, Costco's. Okay. Our last interview certainly. I, we we enjoyed our interviews with the previous uh, CEO, yeah. uh, but uh, the vision from uh, Adam was 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 probably better and more concise, and uh, learned to talk to the markets better. And uh, yeah, and yeah, the positives from the interview that we did. Uh, with Adam and uh, you know, he's, he's delivered on profitability where the business was not delivering for Mm -hmm. uh, you know, significant periods Uh, hit hard, you know, at one point uh, I believe during COVID, but now, you know, and you know, after making those acquisitions, the, the, the two new additions really, uh, I think they're going to going to continue to grow by acquisition, but uh, you know, it, it, uh, the last couple of quarters with the profitability there was, was quite interesting. For sure. I think that ends the show. Does it not? We're good. Yeah, we're good. Sure does. All right. Keep your questions coming in for our Your Stock, Our Take segments. We'll answer those on a weekly basis. If you're view- or listening to this uh, via iTunes, hit the, you know, rate and review us on there or subscribe or whatever the hell you have to do on there. Uh, if you're looking at us on YouTube, watching us, uh, smash that subscribe button. And we'll continue to put the content out on a weekly basis. As always, I'd like to wish you profitable investing. Thank you. All right. Thank you, everyone. Thanks, everyone. Thank you.